0: But this morning, we're going to look at the fact that Jesus is calling us here in this room as evangelists, even you that's here that has only known Christ for about two weeks, even you that doesn't, doesn't even have all the words to say to your friend, you are called to be an evangelist. And so uh, Jesus calls his disciples to reap the gospel harvest, reap the gospel harvest. So let me, let's go ahead and begin with verse 27 as we begin this morning. Verse 27 to 33, we're going to do them in sections, okay, so we're going to begin there. So again, John 4, verse 27 to 33. Here we go. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? or well, why are you talking to her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him meanwhile his disciples urged them rabbi eat something verse 33 um i'm sorry verse 32 but he said to them i have food to eat that you know nothing about verse uh, verse 33 now then his disciples said to each other could someone have brought him food and and let me just give you the, the main idea here of just these short passages is that right before you see this right just then verse 27 Right, you remember last week, right, there's this encounter that Jesus has with this woman of Samaria, a woman who has been rejected by society, a woman who, by all accounts, is in a relationship that she shouldn't be in, in a physical relationship she shouldn't be in. She has had five husbands, right? we don't know whether it's widow, whether it's abuse, but she, she has a history. She's older, she's no longer valuable. And Jesus having a conversation with her, and verse 27 tells us what? That just then, as, he's, as he tells her in verse, from verse 26, I, uh, the one who speaks to you, I am he. I am the Messiah. So as he tells her, I am the Messiah, the one you've been waiting for, the Savior that your Samaritans are waiting for, just then his disciples come into the scene. I mean, just think about that. Think about that, what, what, that picture there, right? And, and what, what happens to the disciples when they see this woman? All right, verse 27, the disciples were surprised. The Greek word, Taumazo" is actually a, a word that means that, uh, speechless. Right? If you were to go in front of a beautiful sunset and you look at it and you just go, oh, man, that's, there's no words to describe what I'm seeing. If you look at the Grand Canyon, right, your reaction by most people is your, your jaws drop. This is this, is this surprised uh, word here in, in, in verse 27, but they're not surprised positively. What are they surprised at? Right? They're they're surprised at the fact that she's talking to a woman. Right? You know, 21st century. I mean, you know, that's probably what you're thinking. But but amazement was internal, right? Because look at what the disciples do. Right? They're surprised to find him talking to a woman, but no one asked. This is what John tells us. No one asked. What do you want? Why are you talking to her? Right? They were amazed, but they were eternally amazed, internally amazed, so much so that they, they, they were uncomfortable. They didn't want to ask the questions that they truly wanted to ask. One, wh- wh- what is it that this means here, Jesus, with her? And, and number two, why are you even speaking to her, right? The NASB, another, another uh, version of the scripture says, what do you seek or what do you, desi- what do you desire with this woman, okay? And he- here is, here is important, uh, an important key here as we open this up in the terms of reaping the harvest that God has given us in terms of people, that there was nothing of value that they were witnessing. The reason they were surprised very early on is because Jesus is giving attention to someone that you wouldn't usually give attention to. According to Jewish thinkers, and don't be mad at me, okay, this is just what the history tells us, according to Jewish thinkers in antiquity, it was a waste of time for a rabbi of Jesus' stature to even talk or be seen near a woman. Okay, now I know, I know, I know what you're gonna say. I know what you're gonna say. Don't get upset. This is not me. This is this is what's what's there. Now, this woman was also Samaritan woman. Okay, Samaritans were half Jews and they claimed to be in an ancestry with Abraham, right? But they either worshipped in Jerusalem like the Jews, nor did they uh, read the entire Scripture. They only believed in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. They were sort of this offshoot, you know, uh, cousin of the Jews uh, that that hated each other. And so in front of the disciples' eyes, there's a couple of problems, right? Where, where did they go? If you remember from um, uh, the beginning of the chapter, they were going to get food. That's where the original, Jesus said, listen, go get me some food. I'm hungry and I'm thirsty. I'm going to stay by this well. I think I could get water here, but go get me some food. They go get food. That's, that's, that's why they stopped. Ministry stop was to recharge your batteries, right? And so by the time they come back, what is Jesus doing? He's preaching, but he's not preaching to another Jew or somebody of high stature. He's preaching to, in their eyes to someone that wasn't even valuable. You can imagine the disciples' surprise when they find Jesus. When an old, I mean, think about how bad this sounds, right? He's alone at noon when nobody's supposed to be around the well with an older woman outside, uh, outside the town. It doesn't look good at all. And so the disciples, most likely are thinking, what does this mean for his reputation, and why is he giving importance to this woman? When the disciples left to gather food, did not expect to come back and see their rabbi, right? their Messiah, speaking to such a lowly person. And so here, it, uh, the arrival of the disciples provides amazement, but I, I want you to see what, uh, look at verse 28 again leaving then leaving her water jar so here's here's the two reactions right the disciples are surprised they're amazed how could you and what is her reaction she leaves look at verse 28 leaving her water jar the woman went back to town the woman leaves and she tells this come see a man who told me everything i ever did could this be the messiah now i I don't i mean i don't know we don't have all the details about this woman but one thing we know her credibility shot right Her credibility isn't something that you go, I need to know what she thinks about the Messiah. Not at all. Her credibility is shot. Think about your credibility in how people believe what we say. Can you imagine this woman with six men in her life go back to town and say, listen, I met yet another man, right? I mean, think about that, right? I met a seventh man, right, who who knows everything I've ever done. And they might say, well, didn't you have like six guys like that, right? I mean, you're, you already had this story. You've already met many men. What does she do? She says, come, right? Signals an invitation to experience what she had experienced. And here's where we begin is that this woman, somebody lowly with no worth, was already uh, becoming a person uh, of evangelism. She was making an evangelistic call. Look how simple uh, her call is. Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. She shared with others what she had found in this person. Someone knew her. Someone knew more more than she did. It didn't matter her status in society. It did not matter that she did not qualify to give uh, any any type of say in religious affairs. Her immediate response to the revelation of the fact that Jesus is Messiah was to leave everything behind, to leave her water jar right where it was and run the opposite way and the disciples are coming and saying, that's not valuable, right? That's not, that's not something that they, could, um, that they could get behind. Now, what does that tell us very early on in, these, in this passage as we go through it? Is that her confession is imperfect yet honest. Her confession as she begins to make this evangelistic call to people is imperfect yet honest look at this she asked cautiously could this be the messiah i mean that's her question it's a question it's not a, it's not a confession here at garwood church we have something called covenant membership and people that are interested in really committing to this church go through a process and there's a time in that process when we ask that you know question we ask tell us how you met jesus or is Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life? And you know what people are supposed to say? Yes. You know what happens if they say no? We're going to go, okay, we need to go back at the beginning because we're a Christian church. Confession is critical to our understanding of who Christ is. Yet, is her confession perfect? No, right? Is there confession, listen, Jesus is the, is, is, one, is the second person of the Trinity, the triune God of Scripture, the one who came born of a virgin and came 2,000 years. No, that is none of that. She's still asking questions. Her questions should not make us question her desire to proclaim Christ, but show us the proclamation of the good news can take place even when we grapple with questions, even when we grapple with our own conversion, even when we don't have all the answers of who Christ is, we simply come and say, I don't know it all, but man, you need to know this person because he's changing my life. Certainty in the claims of Jesus comes in degrees. Let me say that again. Certainty in the claims of Jesus comes in degrees as we grow in our faith alone. Nobody in this room becomes mature when they know Christ. Nobody in this room came out and go, Okay, I know everything I need to know about Christ. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to pray. I know it all. Nobody comes to that point. Nobody's ready to preach a message, even if you go to seminary. No, even if you, if you read your entire Bible, nobody's there yet. Isn't, isn't that a good thing, right? We haven't all arrived. We're still in the process of arriving and knowing all that we need to know. This woman was excited and willing to expose, watch this, her past, her present, to tell others about her experience. Our past is not something to be ashamed of. Our past is not something to be afraid of if we know who the Messiah is. Amen? We can be afraid of our past if we are not secure in who Jesus is. But this woman, even though she didn't forget get it, ran and said, come meet him. Just come meet him. I know, I know that you have questions, and, and I know that we're Samaritans, and we don't believe what the Jews believe, but this Jewish man has the answer. All right? So the result, look at the result in verse 30 again as we looked at earlier. What was the result? Did they say no? Did they say no, we're not going? No, what did they do? They came out of the town, and they came toward him despite the bravery of the woman though i I want you to see the disciples concerns i mean how beautiful this picture right of evangelistic heart and a call the disciples left earlier for food as i mentioned to you but look at verse 31 meanwhile (laughs) i like that transitional statement meanwhile his disciples urged them rabbi eat right think about that so what is the samaritan woman doing come come meet this guy the disciples no, that should not happen. Anyway, uh, you want to eat some? Because that's kind of why we're here in this Samaria region, right? right? They had been with him for the last couple of days, traveling probably five to ten days through Samaria, through the desert. Most likely, he didn't eat. They were concerned for uh, the significance of Jesus' conversation, but they were not concerned with the significance of his conversation. They were worried about the, uh, the, the, the long-held cultural and religious traditions that Jesus was ignoring. You don't talk to a Samaritan woman. You don't talk to the Samaritans. You don't talk along with a woman at the well. You're, you're, you're Jewish. Salvation comes from the Jews. Their question, their concern was a physical need of the Messiah. Did you eat? And so let me tell you what Jesus did that's shocking them, and that they're, Ignoring And, and that, that's really the main point here is that disciples are choosing to ignore the work of God and his plan of salvation with a people group who are undeserving. And they're choosing to ignore it. And here's what they're ignoring. is that One, Jesus extended across gender lines for salvation. He was talking to a woman. Salvation was for all. That's what Jesus was saying. He was saying that there was no better gender. There was no more important gender. It, it isn't that male is better than female. There is no such thing. We're all saved through one man, Jesus Christ. Paul says this in Galatians three twenty There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male nor female, for you are all, say that with me, you're all what? One in Christ Jesus, right? Can we say that again? We're all one in Christ Jesus, right? So, so Jesus, what he, what he was doing, he was beginning this process of extending the the gospel and really shaking shattering long cultural um uh, beliefs in the minds of the disciples salvation would not be just for men salvation is for all what else was he doing number two jesus was extending across ethnic lines jews hated samaritans samaritans hated jews but guess what they both needed a savior For Jews, the Samaritans were second-class citizens of God's promise. The disciples failed to grasp that Jesus was breaking through dividing walls. Black, white, Latino, Asian, we all need the same Messiah. We all have the same God. Now, don't let this ethnic comment take you into some political movement, okay? I'm just saying, at the very least, we know that Jesus cares for our brothers, for African-American brothers, for Hispanic brothers, for our white brothers. And so Jesus extends across these and makes one new man out of all these races through the blood of Jesus, through his blood, through the blood of Jesus Christ. So he's extending across gender lines, extending across ethnic lines, but he's also extending um, across social lines. This woman was a sinner with a shameful past, but he extended across those social lines. Some people may seem like they're too far to reach. Some people may carry their sin in their face in a way that you go, no. I mean, oh my, I, I know that you believe in prayer, but my father, uh uh-uh, uh, he will never come to Jesus. I'm telling you right now. I, have you ever said that? I mean, you can be, come on, be with me. Right? Have you ever said that about somebody? Maybe you have, right? Okay, I'm the only one. Um, but, but if you ever said that, can, can, I, can I just say something to you that Jesus broke through that social line? Those people that are really undeserving, even in your circle of influence, that you look at them and you go, trust me, she's been through so much. She's so traumatized that if I even say the word Jesus, she'll just, that Jesus was exactly doing the opposite, opposite of that. Jesus extended across social lines people's past, knowing full well how he would be portrayed and knowing full well um, what, it, what would happen. And the disciples ignored all this. This is what Jesus was doing. And they saw it, and they just said, question in their heart, right? Nobody asked, what is he doing? Why are you talking to her? They just asked inside. I find it interesting that John probably was saying that, right? Because he wrote it, right? The Apostle John. So it's probably him uh, probably thinking that. But look at verse 32. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Mic drop, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's a statement right at the heart of what their statement was. You think about food? You're thinking about food, right? I have food to eat that you really don't have a concept for. You don't know what it is or the reason why I brought you here to Samaria. Kings during this time would demand food and they would be sitting in their palaces and they would demand food and platter by their servants. In a way, that's what his disciples were doing. They were gluttonous, self-centered, highly concerned with their well-being. Jesus is actually saying, not really. I mean, this is not about that type of food. Your journey was to fetch me some food, to leave me a moment with this person who you think is insignificant, so that you learn a lesson here, and I teach my disciples how evangelism and reaping the gospel harvest is meant to be. Now, if you want to, again, I want to be nice to these disciples, and I want to be nice to us here, okay? But look at verse 33. I don't want to say they're ignorant, but here it is. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? (laughs) You see that, right? So his disciples are not getting the drift that this food that Jesus is talking about is much different than what they perceive. This wasn't about physical food. This was about souls. And so here we see that in verse 34, that Jesus says this, "Uh, my food, and look at this teaching moment, right, is to do the will of him sent me and to finish his work go with me to john john chapter 6 and this will illuminate a little bit about what the will of him is go to just a couple of chapters later john chapter 6 verse 40 jesus is going to begin proclaiming that the harvest is now and the time to reap souls is now jesus is not rebuking them but he's teaching them okay so john chapter 6 verse 40 well, what is the Father's will? Jesus says to them, My food is to do the Father's will. Him has sent me. Who is the Father? Verse 40. My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Right? And I think I have it up here as well. It is not just that people are going to look to Jesus. It is not just that they're going to simply come to church and come and see about this man. It is that the, the purpose and the will of the Father is that every person will come and believe in their heart. This is John 20, verse 31, 2, that he is the true Messiah. And he says this, and I will raise him up on the third day. The, the, the will of the Father was to finish the work which, which his son would begin, which would be: get a bride for himself, get a remnant for himself. Jesus um, it's not just that uh, people need to just simply hear the gospel, but they, they need to be led to Jesus at the very heart of Christ's mission is to uh, save sinners and to keep them saved until he raises them up again. The will of the Father is to secure a bride for his son. He must finish the work by securing a, uh, securing a believing remnant for the praise of his glory. Let me, let me, let me, let me give you in layman's terms here what, what the will of the Father is and to finish his work. The will of Jesus was to simply um, to be hungry for souls. While he was on the earth, he didn't come for food. He didn't come to be fed. He didn't come to be nourished by physical things. He came to be hungry. He came uh, the hunger, hunger for souls. Jesus spe- speaks uh, of this as his food, the will of God, you know, uh, being hungry for souls, bringing people into the house of God, teaching them about the kingdom of God, and to finish that work in people's hearts, all that was his food. That's what nourished him. What, what's your favorite food? Ribs? Salmon? Uh, no, fish people are like, yeah. Uh, okay, what else? What, what, what feeds you? What gives you energy? Salad, the one of you that, that salad energizes you. Um, w- w- think about food. What is the food that you love, that, that you go, man, I, I, when I'm hungry, I got to get mom's soup. I got to get mom's chicken soup, or I got to get... For me, maybe my rice rice and beans, whatever it is. Whatever it is that it is that you're you're hungry, think about how it nourishes you, the satisfaction that you feel right after you're done, and you just go, man, life is good, you know? I love life, because I just ate really well. Friends, for Jesus, the satisfaction came from the obedience of God's word, and most importantly, the obedience to uh, get souls for the kingdom of God, to reach souls, right? This is the Father's will. Jesus' concerns were not a physical concern. Jesus' concerns, with food earlier, were a physical representations for his hunger for souls. He had an inner hunger to seek those without faith, without knowledge in Jesus Christ. He was he was uh, unwilling to eat, for the sake of finishing the task before him. And so, as you think about, let me ask you a question: Are you hungry for souls? Is there a hunger in you for souls, new souls? Not to fill the church, and I don't mean to bring people just here, but for people to know Jesus Christ. Jesus says, that is what nourished me. That is what fed me, right? And so look at verse uh, 35. He gives them an illustration. Verse 35. It's still, uh, don't you have a saying? It's still four months until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Okay, to... Uh, uh, this time they were looking four months out into the harvest time and jesus is saying what what do you guys say now about the harvest what do you, you look you're waiting four months right usually the harvest was in the fall and they used to have the the feast of sukkot which is a jewish festival where you celebrate the first fruits of the lord during that time in the fall and jesus is saying aren't you guys waiting four months right for uh this this harvest time i tell you open your eyes now right look at the fields they are ripe for harvest they're ripe now you don't have to wait four months to reap the harvest for the kingdom the fact is that if you just open your eyes think about how simple that is right think about that evangelization method how do you evangelize open your eyes and look to the fields they are ripe harvest was a time of celebration of reaping of joy jesus gives the points to a natural countdown to the harvest season and says there is no countdown have you, ever, have, you ever, have you ever thought, um, you know, when you're talking about telling somebody about Jesus and you go, next time I'll do it, right? At the right moment, I'll do it, right? Maybe I'll wait for the right time, the right place. What would you do if the harvest was ready now in, in, as a farmer? Do you wait? What happens if you wait, right? You're going to lose your harvest, same here, and Jesus is saying open not just your physical eyes, but open your spiritual eyes. Look at your fields, they are ripe, not four months from now, there is no time to wait. Not only was mankind created with physical eyes to see the beauty of creation, but man was given spiritual eyes to be able to see the deeper things of God. Paul says this in Ephesians 1.18, he praises over the Ephesians, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I, that's what you see in the scripture the, the heart is the eyes of the body in fact the way you see people is through your heart you can't see the outside of the person and say they're totally fine you know that marriage is right on the way they raise their kids that's perfect you don't know by externals the only way you know is by discerning with the eyes of your heart it is so impossible to look at someone and, and to say okay you know what he's ready for the gospel He's ready for the gospel. That, no, that's not ready. It's not, a little later on. So you go preach to that person. We need, uh, the, there is spiritual seeing beyond the natural seeing. There is spiritual discerning beyond natural discerning. The key here is love. Your heart needs to love God's lost people. Our heart needs to be tender to what we see. The disciples were thinking strategically in, in their mind, physically, jesus needs food and there are people today who put an emphasis on the serving of the messiah right and i'm not saying there aren't gifts of service and administration but but oftentimes we worry about the person of jesus and what we do for him it, it, it ever happen to you where you just you do you give your resource and not once do we share the gospel with others not once do we feel comfortable oh i'm not the evangelistic type I, I, I don't like talking to people about Jesus because it's just, that's not me. I, I'm the guy that, like, you know, gives to the church, and I'm the guy that, like, serves. I'm the worship leader. That's my job. Or I'm the pastor, so that's what I do. Nothing of the case. If you saw the harvest, would you just stay there and not reap it? We can only see the need of the gospel with our spiritual eyes. There are people that, from the outside, are so tough and so rough and they have a hard outer shell, and you just say, No, they're never coming to Christ. But are you looking at them with the eyes of your heart? Are you looking at them as a harvest field? Look at verse 36 Even now, even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may be glad together. Even now. Now, not later, even now, if we go and preach the gospel and people come to know Jesus Christ, we're drawing a wage. A wage is a reward, mythos in the, in, in the Greek. It is time today to reap a, a reward. How do we reap that reward, right? What, what do you mean, a reward? Are you going to pay me to evangelize? No, the reward is the fact that you see souls change. The fact is that you see people's life and ideas about faith and Christianity change. The, the, the reward is that you see people going from death into life. The reward is that you see marriages transform. The reward is that you see relationships that that were broken restored, families restored. A new life for Christ is a reward for us today in the present, and there will be a reward in the age to come as well. Our wages are paid now as we see a person's life being changed now. The Samaritan region was not the harvest field that you would gra- that you naturally would gravitate to. In fact, it was a barren field for the disciples because of the sociological and religious divisions, because there were Samaritans, right? But Jesus can yield a harvest in the driest of places, amen? Jesus can, can, can bring fruit where you really think there is absolutely nothing there. You know why? Because he is the sower and you're the reaper. You're not the one putting the years of hard work in that person's life. We, what we do? We just reap the rewards of that person's life. Isn't that beautiful? If I told you that God has an assignment for you where all you're going to do is reap rewards, who would say no to that? Nobody. You would say, sign me up. I'm ready to do it. Well, here it is. Your main role here on this life until we die is to be reapers of the gospel harvest. And, and we don't do that we're being foolish as the disciples were disciples were called to reap this gospel harvest for which god has sown other people have also sown Right? i think about uh, and i'm going to bring this up in just a minute think about people uh, in the old testament right think of old testament writers they were sowers think of john the baptist he was preaching during this time he was a sower old testament prophets moses all these men were sowing, sowing, sowing into, into people's lives, ultimately in scriptures, so that people can come to know the Lord. And so here this word of reaping conveys a picture of cutting ripe grain and gathering in bundles. There is some work to be done, but it is the easy and rewarding work, right? Uh, what does he say? So that the sower and the reaper, this is again verse 36, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad, right? Right? Luke 15 tells us this, that when a sinner uh, comes to know Jesus Christ, there is rejoicing. I'm going to read it. There is rejoicing in the presence of angels, of God, over one sinner who repents. There is joy. You want more joy in your life? Here it is, right, in John chapter 4. You lack joy, You, you need to reap rewards. You see them as you see lives transformed and coming into saving faith in Jesus Christ. The picture here is that we're not planters. We're reapers of God's harvest. Seeds have been planted. All we do is do the work of reaping. We're not the sowers. The hard work has been done, as I mentioned to you. And this is what he said. Um, oh, sorry. Uh, let me, Go to verse 37. Thus, and he, again, he's, he's drawing this out here in terms of sowing and reaping. Thus, one is saying, one sows and another reaps. It's true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. On a broad level, Jesus has already paid the price. Jesus has already done the work. God has already looked at uh, at people whom he's called under his name. And all we have to do today is reap. The hard work has been done. Why is it that we can't share our faith? What are the things, what, what are the stumbling blocks, if I could say it that way? Is it because you don't love people? Is it because you simply see people as not valuable? That Their past tells you that they're not reachable? The fact that, you know, they're of a different race, different culture, tell you, listen, I'm Hispanic, you're white, I can't preach to you, you know? We, you know you got, I can only preach to Hispanic people because that's what I'm comfortable with. Is, is, that, is that really what we see here? Absolutely not. The gospel is for all. And the disciples were simply not catching it. And today, uh, God is bringing this to us because I I believe that we need to see that the work is easier than what you think. He gathered his disciples. Jesus uh, preached to people. He was doing some of the sowing. Jesus himself, he was the one doing it, but he did not leave a field that was reaped bare. He did not leave you in, in the world, in this place, with basically nothing to reap, he left it full, ready for harvest. Uh, uh, if you, I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, Don Herman Judson. Um, he was a missionary um, in Burma. And I, if you know a little bit about him, he had a lot of hardship, death in the family, disappointments. And if you, look at the, if you looked at his first 12 years of ministry, you would, you would just say, really? Like He only had 18 converts in 12 years. 18 Christians coming to know Jesus Christ in, in 12 years. And for many people, you look at that and you say, man, Burma, man, that's, that's not good. You know, right now, I mean, in churches, we, we take attendance, right? We see how many baptisms we do. You know, think about 12 years and 18 people in a church. Well, today, there are over a million Christians in Burma. Think about that. A million from 12. All of them would trace back to Judson's labors. Your sowing is not in vain for those who sow even in this room, but, but there's also... I- a reaping that will come for those that will come in the future. Far from rebu- rebuking their lack of understanding, Jesus clarifies that the role in this evangelistic picture is primarily that of, uh, of, of reaping, right? Uh, notice how the Samaritan woman with her woeful theology, she was able to reach her neighborhood and bring people to Christ or bring people to Jesus. Think about all what the farmers do. They, they plow, fertilize, they sow, weed, water, but the most important part which is what they're waiting for right it's the harvest this is what god has given to us God gives us a significant role but who deserves the credit do you deserve the credit or does god deserve the credit the lord right because he's the one that has put the hard work in he's the one that has done all these things so that we may reap our reward we can only claim that we have done a little part of the job in fact Uh, This aspect of evangelism and sowing and reaping should magnify how God works in the lives of people. Our job is to reap the gospel harvest. So let's let's finish here. Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Uh, The main point in in these just uh, three passages here is that the gospel, harvest of the gospel, produces uh, it's always advancing and growing, okay? Uh, people, uh, people's faith is always advancing and growing. The Samaritan woman's testimony wasn't perfect. Her, her confession wasn't perfect, right? He just, she just said, he told me everything I know, and people believed in Jesus Christ because of this woman's story. Because, if I could say this, because of her testimony. Man, what an incredible story, See, uh, the, the harvest uh, reaped by the Samaritan woman, the many that we see here, was simply because she just told her what Jesus had done in her life. For many of us, that, that encounter with Jesus, right? That, that first time we met Christ, those changes he has done in our lives are like blurred backgrounds, right? Many years ago, you know, ages ago, that Jesus did in my life. Well, if you want to know a strategy for telling people about Jesus, just tell them how he changed your life. How simple is that right is not that simple but but that simplicity can get here in our head and we can get so theologically worried about how to share and what to share because we don't want to tell them the wrong thing and I don't really know all the verses and I haven't read all the Bible and I really I mean I believe in Jesus but I don't know the whole thing she didn't do any of that she simply said I'm going to tell you what happened, and here's how my life has been changed. He might be the Messiah, and that story reverberated with the entire Samaritan world. Look at verse 40. It was so impactful. This is what they did. So the Samaritans came to him, and they urged him to stay with them. He stayed for two days. People dropped what they were doing in the middle of the day. Okay, this is about 12 noon. Stopped everything that we're doing. Go back to the well and tell him, stay here. Now remember this, Jews and Samaritans do not mix, right? They did not mix, yet nothing mattered more to these converts than knowing more about the gospel. So here we have Jesus, a Jew, coming to Samaritans, right? And now what do you have? Samaritans coming to a Jew. You begin to see reconciliation even in social and ethnic lines because of the gospel, You guys see that, right? It didn't matter what their background was or their story. The reconciliation, racial reconciliation was upon Christ himself and the person of, of, of our Lord. The Holy Spirit can break down barriers that the world has erected. If you look at all that's going on across our world and you think about how this is a gospel moment, and you go, what do you mean gospel moment? This is all about race. This is all about politics. Not at all. The reason why we are what we are is because we have removed Jesus from the encounter of political and social lines. Only the Holy Spirit can break down these walls through, uh, through Jesus Christ. Our stories are powerful, and this is what we see here, that our stories are powerful, but they cannot produce true gospel or gospel growth in people. Your testimony is powerful, but it is only as powerful as people's desire to grow. The testimony of the woman produces an urgent desire on, on these people to get to know Jesus, and Jesus himself now becomes the one who tells them. Right today, Jesus speaks to us through his word. Jesus speaks to us through his church. Jesus speaks to us through the sacrament, through baptism, through the Lord's Supper. He's speaking to us. These are the testimonies of Jesus Christ. He speaks to us through the person of the Holy Spirit. Our testimonies lead people to Jesus in a hunger to know more about Christ, but people depend on the revelation of Jesus Christ himself to affirm their belief and faith. You can only... Eat off somebody else's growth for so long. You guys capture that right? You can only grow of your pastor's supply of food for so long. You can only eat off the church's love for so long. You need Jesus Himself to teach you and to feed you. Amen? That's what we need. This church will be imperfect at some points. I'm gonna say some crazy things at some point. You're not gonna like me. Let me tell you that that's that's normal because I am a sinner. I, 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 we are, you know, this is where we are, we're, here's perfection, here's, here's Jesus, right, and we're on the sides, and we're, we're touching, we're touching the perfection and the glory of God in different places, but we're never really reached there until he comes back, until that day, we depend upon Christ himself and alone to teach us about himself, and not on people, we have an influence, but we're the reapers, you guys catch that, we're the reapers, we're not the sowers in this, to this extent. Verse 41, and because of his many words, because of his words, many more became believers. So you have a first batch, woman's testimony, and now you have a second batch uh, here by Jesus' own words. And they said to the woman, uh, we no longer believe just because of what you have said, but now we heard for ourselves and we know that this man, here's the confession, watch this, he really is the savior of the world. You guys see this? John chapter 4 begins with a woman simply calling this man a Jew. Then she looks at him, calls him a prophet. Then later he says, I'm the Messiah. And now all these people are saying what? He's the Savior of the world. You guys see that beautiful picture John paints for us here? Faith doesn't come all at once. Knowing Christ doesn't come all at once. And the Samaritan woman and these people needed this type of process to come into saving faith. They no longer implies that they no longer maintain their belief upon this woman, but they maintain their belief upon Christ Himself. What's the result when you meet Jesus? You confess He is Lord. You confess He is Savior. People need an opportunity to hear the gospel for themselves. To say that Jesus is the Savior means this: people recognize that they need a rescue. We, I believe, we need that every day. We need to recognize I need a, I need a rescuing this morning from who myself. I, Lord, I don't like myself. I need you to rescue me. And the only way we're rescued from our sin, from the weight of this world, is through the person of Christ. The title of savior had a rich historical background. Ancient Greeks referred to their gods as saviors. Romans applied it to the emperor. All these people, they knew what a savior was, but, but here they're proclaiming he had a savior, not of an empire, and not of a group of people or religion, but of the entire world. It is only through Jesus by whom the world is saved. So let me, let me close here, and let me give you just three, um, three principles I think are helpful here. And I hope that, that this helps you this week as you interact with others. One, interactions with non-Christians are meaningful and full of Christ-centered purpose. Interactions with non-Christians are meaningful and full of Christ-centered purpose. Think about all the interactions that you have with people who don't come to to this church. All the interactions that you have with people that simply, you know, they got no business knowing about God. Let me just say this, they're meaningful. Just take that home. They're purposeful. Disciples' concern was in the well-being of the Messiah. That well-being, that focus on Jesus the person, the physical person, overshadowed the evangelistic purpose of the meeting of the Samaritan woman. Our personal time with Jesus or our desire to serve Jesus you know, physically should not overshadow the importance of our conversation with unbelievers, even in our own family. Every moment, even Valentine's Day, could be a time where you can talk about Christ. So number one, interactions with non-Christians are meaningful and full of Christ-centered purpose. Number two, Christ transforms self-centered people into bold proclaimers of truth. Last week, we had uh, the Super Bowl, and everybody wore their jerseys. Um, and especially there were some uh, the Eagles people around here, which on the left, whatever. Let's just not talk about that. But, but you know what they were doing? They're like, Eagles. Like, you know, have you ever seen a stadium, how proud people are of their team? How bold it is to say, I'm an Eagles fan. Or I'm, a, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not proud of being a Jet fan. But they, uh, let's just say somebody was a Jet fan that was standing up here. And uh, he was proud of that right? We're, we're proud of so many things. Look at my kid. Look at him performing, right? Facebook, social media. Look at my kid. Look at my kid. When you see the kid, we, yes, we know you love the kid. The kid's amazing. He plays piano. It's great. Because we're, we're, we're very bold about things we're passionate about. Isn't that true? We tell others about these things. But, but here's what we see in this passage, that Christ transforms this self-centered woman into bold proclaimers, not of her favorite team, not of her kids, but of Christ how much boldness do we have to proclaim the name of christ before others again this is even in our circle of influence right transformation doesn't happen all at once but we are called to be bold do not ease into gospel complacency but seize every moment for evangelization right so again think about that think about for a moment are you a bold proclaimer of christ's truth let me finish here our goal in evangelization is, is this simple Okay, this is, this is so simple. It's to lead people to Jesus. To lead people to Jesus. It, it, it is a job. It's a job with rewards. We only reap what God has planted. But if we are like his disciples and simply worried about the external stuff, the other stuff. That has nothing to do with people. We have lost the true heart of the gospel. Amen. Let me pray. Let me pray.